Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of DD Extra, the bonus episode of Differential Diagnosis, where we differentially diagnose something else. This week, we're going to be doing a character analysis of the extra characters of House MD. So uh, we're not going to be talking about House this week. We felt that he deserved an episode to his own, but we're going to be talking about all the other big players. Um, This week, that includes Cameron, Chase, Foreman, Cuddy, Wilson, and of course, the big boy, Vogler. (laughs) My name's Harvey. I'm one of your hosts. And your other host, as always, is Gaz. Uh, Pleasure to be here in uh, Reverb Central in London. (laughs) Um, I hope everyone's uh, appreciating all of the wondrous reflections of my voice around a very kind of harsh environment, sonically speaking. Yeah, I was saying to Gaz that the reverb is so good that you could echolocate that room perfectly. But um, it's actually sounding all right. You've You've done your best, given that you're in someone else's house and you can't build a little studio like you usually would. That might be quite inappropriate, I think. <laughs> If you use the right tools, it would be like the Dark Knight when they activate the mobile phone echolocation <laughs> system. <laughs> as long as you promise to destroy it afterwards. Um, oh, shit. Maybe we should just turn this into a generic film podcast. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Reinvent the wheel. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think the the classic phrase is two white guys discussing films." I think it's the most popular podcast out there. But um, yeah, instead it's two white guys uh, discussing House MD specifically. And um, so yeah, we just thought like um, as usual with with DD extra episodes, it's a bit casual, but we were kind of gonna just run through up to this point in the series. I believe um. At this point, we're about to do um, three stories next week. So we thought that because there's no huge um, character development for the rest of the team, there is certainly for House, but for the rest of the team, there's nothing really extra that's going to come of this. So we thought that we'd take this time to um, to talk about the rest of the team and kind of, you know, see how far they've come, see what we've learned about them, talk about things we did like, talk about things we don't like, and then... Um, as I say, next week we'll 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 go into depth about uh, House and um, Stacy as well because Stacy does make an appearance and she's a big character, but she's in it for very few episodes, and uh, so we wanted to talk about her more in conjunction with House than with the rest of the team because um, Stacy doesn't really have any character development as such. We just learn that she exists and her temperament and some of her character details. So um, for now. We'll just sort of run through the characters. We'll, you know, we'll chat about it and see what happens. And as always, if you have any like different interpretations of the characters or or any thoughts or anything we missed out, then, you know, tweet us at, um, at HouseMDCast on Twitter. Or you can get in touch with us over Facebook, which is just Differential Diagnosis, a HouseMD podcast. Because, uh, yeah, we really enjoy hearing from you. It's very nice to hear other people's thoughts. Um just on it really because we're not house md experts we're just fans who enjoy the show and uh, i'm sure that's what you are as well <laughs> so your point of views are equally as valid it's just that we have microphones in front of us um i guess the other thing is that you know some of those ideas that you come up with we actually make um episodes about them so for instance the fan fiction one was due to a uh, suggestion from a fan 
And so, you know, we want to have as much input from you guys as possible. Um, I mean, we once we get to the end of this season, we're going to be looking at doing some other things. So the more you you interact with us, the more you um, give us feedback, uh, the more content we can make for you that you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, if you say you want more episodes like this, we'll make them. Uh, if you say if you say you don't like Gaz, he's gone. Yeah, I'm out. It's done. You just got to ask. Harvey's non-negotiable, I'm afraid, but me, completely expendable. <laughs> um, I think the other thing is if you want more fan fiction, you want us to raunch it up a little bit like last time, then hey, we're your men. Well, actually, we did have a we did have a, um, a message relating to a bit of Chase's character okay. from Love Hurts, so I'll I'll bring that up when we discuss Chase's background. It was something that we didn't get to during the Love Hurts episode, where uh, Chase tries to intimidate and it <laughs> tries to imitate a dominatrix. Yeah, well, fantastic we... part of his character, but um, that's what this episode is for. It's sort of. Just run through the added extras, because we always talk about the characters during each episode. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about Foreman because he's had a lot of episodes based on him. But, you know, you'd have to listen to like about seven hours of material <laughs> to hear our thoughts on Foreman. So we thought, hey, let's do it in about 40 minutes. Yeah, let's do it in like a portion of that. Let's portion that to about five best once we edit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. unless you want this to be like a four hour episode uh but oh sorry no no i meant i uh, sorry i meant 40 40 minutes the whole thing not 40 minutes on foreman but you know what we could I'd probably do, do it and i think the show has that in it so um it's a testament to it i mean the, mo the more we watch this series the more i do i'm trying to not like be a total fanboy over it but um you know i i like the series but the fact that we have consistently like lengthy and i think insightful conversations on the episodes and the characters i i, I just stand out to me that there is a lot to offer from the series it's very impressive yeah um i completely agree with that um and when you look at similar tv shows with a similar kind of timing uh, demographic target audience etc uh, a lot of them can come off as very much very unsophisticated in comparison to house like we said in the past, actually we said it quite early on, you know, the writers do not treat their audience with contempt or with a sense that they're stupid in this series. Um, they really do respect their ability to see that life is quite messy and reflect that in the writing. Um, so kudos for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... Yeah, well, not, not to stray too far away from the subject, but I think you and me, we recently started watching The Good Doctor, which is another show by David Shaw, which we're probably going to do an episode on. Mm -hmm. But we, 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 we had some like big initial observations at how, at how that show like approaches its characters, and it doesn't really have the same kind of like gray area that house is i think like it really narrows down on like like ethical lessons or like lessons for the characters to learn or like character traits and just really like you know just spills them out on the floor 
so that you can see them and know exactly what's going on and you never really are confused about anyone's like feelings or motivations which um isn't a bad thing because most tv shows are like that and i think like you know that's a very clear and concise way to write characters but but the thing that we that i particularly like about house and as you say i think you do because we've discussed it before is just how up for interpretation a lot of things are and how messy and inconsistent some people are in the show but in a way that's clearly like done to demonstrate that's done to build realistic characters it it's messy on purpose the intent is to demonstrate that it's not like we're lazy writers and we've decided whoa (laughs) it's just not give a damn i think the one thing i'd say just briefly is that um you you see in the good doctor maybe an evolution in david shaw's writing where he's distilled the elements he wants to look at which are um trying to distill the drama into a kind of more like a courtroom or litigation scenario we see a little bit of that in house but the pilot episode of the good doctor i mean it just feels like that but times a million um and I guess that's just an evolution of his writing, but I don't see that necessarily as a particular strength. It's not something I enjoy, but... Yeah, it's it's aimed at a different audience. It's got, like, a very different... Um, like, it's got a very different objective. I think that's absolutely right, um, and I think it's just a matter of a difference of taste. Um, what I like about House will, and what I like about television in, diff- in general is just going to be sometimes different from what other people or other writers want to write and that's okay i, I don't have a problem with that uh, but it's just something that i've observed over time obviously as a viewer i they obviously care about my opinions to some extent because otherwise you know no one would watch tv but you know being a general viewer but there you go it's kind of a bit of a tension between what the writer wants to do and what the viewer expects and sometimes it doesn't always match up um yeah completely which is why it's so nice that we're about to do a an episode where we talk about the characters it's nice that we even have something to discuss rather than going this person is a nice person and doesn't like this person and wants this and that would be the end of the discussion (laughs) yeah well it could be um let's not get our hopes up (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, there. I mean, maybe, maybe Vogler. Vogler will probably be a quick one. Um, so yeah, number one on the list. There's uh, there's Cameron. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know, Gaz. Do you wanna do you wanna break down the information that we know about Cameron? Well, just in general. The essential open question uh, posited in the pilot is whether Cameron was hired she looks pretty or not and i think yeah i think um yeah as you say that's that's kind of like that's a a good observation of where her her character leaps from i i don't necessarily think it it's that her attractiveness has got her far even though house alludes to it i think it's more how she deals with the anxiety of that from her end but um really Okay. I d- slightly i mean she's bothered by it and she she then spends 
I don't think the attractiveness thing is brought up a bit. I think that's one of those awkward layovers from the pilot. But I think that a lot of her character development and is based around her trying to get over the anxiety of how she's perceived. And I think that shifts from her being attractive to her finding that people um, ignore her or don't take her seriously because I think she's a bit like meek and not very um, confrontational at points. So I think uh, I think the show shifts it from her worrying that she's just like getting by on her looks to it being like more of a a personality thing. Yeah, that was like yeah. my observation anyway. That she starts, you know, there's episodes where she starts um, in uh, in control. She starts like doing that thing where she's trying to like change the way she talks, change the way she approaches debates, and then during the um, during like the that entire Vogler arc where he's trying to fire people like and Chase is trying to like you know beat her down and say like oh she's like you know Cameron is a uh... yeah like where where Chase is trying to undermine Cameron she turns around she's like you know don't think I'm gonna take this these things really bring out a lot of her and um and on top of that then there's there's like things where in maternity where she is unable to tell the patients that bad news and then she kind of worries about that. She's like horrified that she can't get over that hurdle. And there's some backstory there, which we'll go into. But it's, um, I feel like a lot of it is brought on by her anxiety, more about her personality and like her kind of temperament being quite meek and unconfrontational, like, and how she's sort of trying to really overcome that. Uh, instead of just it being like, oh, I, I, am I getting by because I'm attractive? That I feel like that element is kind of dropped. But the initial, like, Cameron is anxious about the way she's perceived, like, continues. But I think it's handled a lot better after the pilot because it doesn't focus on the looks thing, which is kind of a bit more of a throwaway scene. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or you think that the looks thing continues being developed on. I, I think it gets dropped a little bit. Um, well, yeah, I I think that the pilot scenario, I guess, reveals the nub of what uh, Cameron... Camera's arc is all about in season one. It's uh, she's everything seems to be hinged upon. Oh, she's attractive, therefore she's been hired by house, and that kind of lays a seed of doubt in Cameron's head about who she is and why she's here. Um, even though she's obviously scholastically excellent at what she does and has had internships at like the Mayo Clinic, for instance. Um, yeah, but what that it. It wasn't about necessarily the fact that um, she was or wasn't attractive and that's why House uh, hired her. But the fact that he said it to trigger a response that revealed something about the character, which was the fact that she did not necessarily have self-confidence, but also a degree of anxiety over how she was perceived. Um, and I think that carries on through. Control is a great example. I think you also see a lack of self-confidence, but also um, a bit of a little bit of cowardice at the beginning of the first season, especially when she's being asked to make difficult decisions, such as telling someone they're going to die or not. Um, she kind of she she tries to shirk away from that responsibility, makes Wilson do it. Um when that's like the essential feature of a doctor 
is to be able to tell the patient the truth when necessary, even if it's difficult. And so you have like the self-confidence issue. You have this kind of sometimes cowardice or ability, an inability to face difficult decisions. Um, and then this perception anxiety as well. Um, and in control, she tries to confront the perception bit, um, also to stamp her own authority because Foreman during the earlier part of the season up to the middle part is completely dominant in the writing as well, as much as he is as dominant a character. Yeah. Um, these things get slowly eked out over the course of the season. So for instance, we start to understand she married a terminally ill person. Um, she has some sort of complex about people who are sick um, or n require fixing or caring. And maybe it's a primary drive for her being a doctor, but it can also become a bit of a neurosis or a complex, which can obviously have bad effects too, especially when we looked at the hammer and situation where it seemed like the motivation for that was in some way governed by her desire to fix or desire to care for those that seem to be broken so those are my thoughts yeah yeah completely well it's it's nice the terminal ill uh like her marrying the terminally ill man um for like the last six months of their life is a a really nice detail because i like that it I like that it like bleeds into two aspects of her character, which is that she like, you know, she has trouble telling um, the uh, the parents in maternity that their child is dead. And it's kind of like, you know, they, they use the that's when the terminally ill husband storyline comes out because it's about how she she knows what their situation is like. She knows how horrible it is and therefore she can't like. Yeah, she can't like um, she can't face that situation because of that. But then it also bleeds into her relationship with House, and how she like loves House, and then House kind of on their date rationalizes that it's just her trying to fix people, which then bleeds into like a lot more of her character where she's like so patient friendly, and you think like oh is Cameron just a friendly person, and then it kind of bleeds into this complex of no she's just like she's obsessed with fixing stuff she's not not obsessive compulsive but she's like got a compulsive like behavior that she just needs to be liked and like you know just like do good things for people and be a good person and fix things which is um which is nice i, I like that that backstory like that backstory isn't like one note it, it it bleeds into a lot of her character and like um yeah it informs a lot of what she does it's not just like, oh, my husband died, therefore I don't like being in relationships. You know, like a lot of characters can be. They have like that tragic backstory, but it doesn't inform like every facet of their personality. Whereas, um, but at the same time, what's quite interesting about that backstory is that she already had those traits right. So it's almost like her husband doesn't really affect anything. <laughs> like it's not like her husband died and then she became obsessed with fixing people. It's like her husband is a symptom of that wanting to fix people. Yeah. <laughs> like, and be that way and like be liked and, and, and like, you know, um, make things better. 
So it's quite nice that even though it's a tragic backstory, it didn't like cause her personality. It sort of just exacerbated what was already there. Yeah, and I think that gives um, at least the perception that there's a lot of depth to the character. Um, mm. That that there's a kind of a multi. It's three dimensional rather than just like this two D flat character who goes, "I had a bad problem. Now I'm obsessed with X." It's like this is something that's always been part of who she is. And we see it manifest in very different and interesting ways. You're not, it's not like everything, like everything has to have a discernible origin for the character. Yeah. It, it can just be who they are. And that's fine. And I think that's quite smart. I mean, a lot of other people will try and over explain or over elaborate <laughs> a character trait and then it ends up just feeling a bit crap. And, Although, you know, you could say that doesn't happen in house. It does happen sometimes, especially in the pilot where everything house does is kind of <laughs> explained by the other characters. Like house wants to control you because <laughs> X, Y, Z. It's like, wow, thanks for the psychoanalysis. Wilson, the oncologist. It's something that's dropped after the pilot and it's... um. Yeah, as you say, like, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's like there's not a point of origin for everything. I think, like, you know, it's very, yeah. But also at the same time, like, all of their back. So even though there's not a point of origin for why Cameron's, like, trying to prove herself so much, like, with the, you know, oh, I hired you because you're attractive thing, there's enough, like, there's enough anxiety there where you can see how that might have developed. I like that the characters are also, like, um, they're competitive for different reasons. Like, Cameron's really becomes more forthright. She becomes, like, more trying to, like, you know, push her ideas and dominate the situation because, you, as you learn, there's this anxiety about the way she's perceived and she wants to be great. And then you have, like, and then you have, like, instances where, like, Chase is pushing himself forward, but you kind of see that he wants to be, like, he just wants to be, like, seen as that kind of maverick who comes up with the great ideas. He just wants to be seen as an impressive guy. And then there's Foreman, who kind of does it because of his like social background, like he's had a tough life and he's just become super competitive to get to where he is. And even though they're sort of performing really well, like the reason they're all performing well is like totally different based on which character you're looking at. It's not like they're all just driven and they all want to be the best. They want to be the best for very different reasons. And I think like, you know, um, there's just very subtle tweaks, but I think Cameron having this like, deep-seated anxiety is just established really well and she doesn't like you know I think handled badly she could have definitely been like just this super confident like Mary Sue character uh, much like in when House is interviewing when Cameron leaves and House is interviewing for new candidates and there's one woman who is super confident and it's like everything House says is like a snappy one-liner back and to me, that is like Cameron written badly. And I don't know whether or not they did that on purpose. I think it would be very funny if they did. But you could have had it sounds that like character. A bit, yeah. hmm? It does sound like a writerly critique, doesn't it? Yeah. Like they're critiquing their own temptations to have written a character like that. I think you're right. I, I mean, I, I hope so. I think, I think it's... If so, it's a really clever idea. And it's... um. But it's uh, but it, it just really like when I was watching that and thinking about it, I was like, wow, Cameron is really well written <laughs> because she's not that 
she's like you know she's obviously like you know she's attractive she becomes more confident but there's like a reason for all of that and i think that that's really yeah i just think that that's really well established and really well carried out i think in terms of because in the pilot we were talking about i think foreman pretty much comes out the gate as quite a strong character in who he is i think you know chase at the very least also comes out as like he 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 takes a bit of a backseat he's a bit more casual but i think that pretty much instantly gives his character away but i think cameron is like cameron is like a bit like wilson like they're both just kind of nice people and in the pilot i was a bit worried by the way that cameron was being established i thought she was a bit yeah she didn't really like come forward but i think like within a few episodes like the way that they kind of really push on that anxiety of hers uh they really make it come out like really well during the series and it's um yeah her like backstory and personality and the way she acts are really interconnected well it does feel like a real person um yeah i would also note that in the earlier episode she doesn't really have much of a prominent role um and you see within the season these kind of phases where a certain uh, character will become the one that's at the fore, you know, the foreground. Then the other two kind of the two of the team will kind of go back. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, we had that entire kind of what, like three to four episode streak of Foreman. Yeah, it was it was the Foreman trilogy, and then there was a break, <laughs> and we thought it was over, and then Foreman became prominent in another episode. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was like Foreman, like the the sitcom. Um, <laughs> uh, but we'll get on to that. I have a, a few funny, I think funny, um, comments to make about him. But what? I'd say the thing about Cameron is, uh, yeah, at the beginning, it, she wasn't, it wasn't really clear to me what her shtick was. <laughs> yeah. um, but it became clear by the time the hammer and hammering came along that i was like okay i get it a bit more um yeah and i think you've nailed everything about that well no well i I, yeah but i I like your observation that it's like that the backstory isn't a point of origin i hadn't really thought about Mm. it like that but i think that's a really that's just a really nice way of looking at a backstory it's like as you say a lot of other shows will be like something happened to me and now i feel this way (laughs) It's the old, uh, D, you know, super comic book hero uh, <laughs> origin story. Yeah. I had X, therefore I am like Y. Um, and the other thing that you picked up upon, picked up on, was the um, that none of the characters have what I call the Ash Ketchum uh, syndrome, which is why do you want to be the best? Because I want to be the best, <laughs> um, which is a completely redundant way of thinking about a character instead it's more like why do you want to be the best well i have these kind of weird quirks about me that kind of drive me to be a good diagnostician and here are some of them and they're not the complete beginning and end of my character but you know um (laughs) yeah that was pretty good as you say, like if Ash Ketchum had like a backstory where his mother was always like getting, you know, different abusive boyfriends and calling him a loser, then it would be like, oh, I get why Ash Ketchum wants to leave 
the town and be the very best. <laughs> but um, as you say, because that isn't there, he's just work. It's like, I just want to be the very best because. Well, not... uh, maybe I'm kind of oversimplifying the character because daddy's left. Because <laughs> I want to be like my dad. And so actually maybe my Ash Ketchum theory of character building is wrong. But I, I, I like it. I like it as a start point. I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really nice example of of a more flat character or more baseless yeah. character motivation. <laughs> even though it's Pokemon and we're picking would... on Pokemon. But even so, it's like, you know, I, I, yeah, no, I totally understand it. And I agree. I was going to say, no one go, it's not like it's, uh, I want to be the very best because my dad left when I was young. It's, <laughs> I want to be the very best, the best there ever was. <laughs> with nothing else (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wonder if that would have been as kid friendly but there's um (laughs) but hey you've already you already brought up foreman you're raring to go you want to talk about foreman foreman's next on the list so go on give me what you got about foreman there's only there are a series of sounds that to me sum up foreman down ding 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 Ding, ding. The most neurotic um, doctor <laughs> in television history. It's Eric Foreman. Uh, I felt like I was in a sitcom <laughs> with a very kind of ambitious, slightly neurotic. <laughs> yeah, because he's not like neurotic uh, in that. Doctor. He's not neurotic in that nerdy way. He's neurotic in a really like angry way, which is fascinating. I haven't really <laughs> seen that before. <laughs> it's like curb your diagnosis or something um uh yeah uh, what would i say he's just very neurotic very angry and he's really afraid of becoming um like his diagnostic daddy house but he is he can't he's like a it's like a person denying their own very nature i mean he starts off in the pilot as you know, House says, you're a criminal. That's why I hired you. Um, so you can do all the dirty work. And he's like, what? But I'm really good at my job. It's like, so he has a, they kind of elaborate this kind of obviously racially charged premise because he's African-American um, and he's from a de- deprived background, like crime. What gives? <laughs> um i know um and from there you get we see an unfolding of this person who is intensely ambitious is willing to shiv his boss if necessary to be right um someone who um is angry threatening to other colleagues um Push me again is a good line from a, <laughs> a recent episode that we reviewed. Um, and what we see, like the essential tension of his character is he wants to be as good as House, but he doesn't want to be House. But in a way, his character is always gravitating to the same kind of ideas and perceptions as House does. And he's very uncomfortable with it. Mm. Um, And he doesn't know how to resolve it. 
because everything he does seems to make him more like that and even house recognizes that in foreman now the ambition not necessarily the ambition but the ability to say screw everyone else this is what i think and i'm willing to do crazy things to get to the bottom of it um so that's what what i see in foreman and that's why he's incredibly neurotic um, yeah and i can i can totally see like as we said like while we were watching it we were kind of critical of not not that time was being placed on foreman but that so much of the episodes were placed solely on foreman and it was kind of getting in the way of everyone else's character development and it's like but but as you like based on the description you've done in the analysis it's like i can totally see why like foreman is focused on so much it's like i i think our foreman discussion will probably be like relatively short and that's because like not because foreman is so obvious but performance like just character arc and development and background are so like well done you totally understand you know why foreman is the way he is because he's come from a bad background he's like you know really worked hard you know there's an entire episode like going into you know the way that he views different doctor styles but he always gravitates towards house even though he hates the way house does things because he shares that kind of fire for just wanting to do something great and it's um is it it's like because i mean foreman foreman is so foreman is probably the most pushy against house he doesn't want to be house and watching him slowly transform into that and sort of worry about it um at least we're seeing the start of that in season one it doesn't really pick up until later in the show they do kind of start um doling out very well but it's it's a gradual thing and it's established and sort of it's established and taken forward really well in those first in the first season and it's uh it's probably the most interesting one because it's the it's a storyline that has the most conflict with house and his methods Mm. a conflict but it's just weird isn't it that there's all this conflict but they're so similar in a lot of ways it's kind of like it's kind of like a weird love story um it's kind of like you know <laughs> i don't know like west end girl east end boy <laughs> it's like you know they're like you know they you know For- foreman doesn't want to be with house but deep down he loves him it's like the notebook or something it's from one of those classic <laughs> like romances <laughs> it's like you know i don't like you but i love you or i love like your job it's I love the way you do things. It's really strange. It's so intense, mm. him and House's relationship, because there's this like deep hatred, but there's deep respect. Um, I think yeah. even Foreman says that at one point. Like he says, "I don't like House. I respect him." I think he says that to Vogler, and like that's the big thing. Mm. And and it's interesting that Foreman does not screw over House during that entire Vogler arc, because you know Foreman despises House. He thinks he's disgusting at points, but. Uh, my God, like he respects him. They always come back to each other. It's very, it's very intense in that way. I guess it is a bit like a romance then, isn't it? Like an odd couple romance. Yeah. Of sorts. But the, the, the weird thing about it is that the more that Foreman ignores House, the more he becomes House, the closer he gets. Yeah. <laughs> the more you ignore him, the closer he gets. To quote Morrissey. <laughs> um, uh and I think that's something as well. I think also you get to see there are two other sides to him. So 
one is is it really a kind of um so his character growth is it fueled by fear of what he could become with house or do you think it's another kind of emotion because i i couldn't really that was the thing that i was really stuck on was is it fear or is it something else i think that foreman is i think foreman's an interesting one because i think foreman is being foreman is being pushed forward by um like you know he he at points because is like he seems very resentful of his of his of his background he doesn't like the fact that house even like brings it up or bases anything on it he keeps saying like you know i've i've worked very hard to be where i am but and i think it's that kind of ambition which is pushing him to the level where he's going to inevitably end up like house but he also hates house and it's sort of this um yeah maybe <clears throat> maybe it's fear i mean we we need to know more about like foreman's feelings on his childhood right now we we seem to get the impression that he didn't really like it that much. And that's why he's worked so hard to escape that kind of like socioeconomic situation. But it's, um, it, it's, it, but it, the, it's, it's fascinating in the sense that, you know, that drive is going to make him like house. And, but he doesn't mm. want it. And it's sort of like, he sees the finish line and it's just him pushing his way there and not wanting to be there, which I find so interesting about Foreman. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, as you, as you say, I think the reason why, you know, we, we know that Foreman tr worked hard because he didn't want to grow up the same way his parents did. But we, we don't know his feelings on that. We don't know if he's just like, didn't like being in that situation, if he's scared of being in that situation. And um, I think in future seasons, we'll probably learn more about Foreman's background to get better insight into that. But right now he, he seems, he seems angry and somewhat negative about his background. So for now, that probably drives him. I mean, saying that anger drives Foreman would be a a good start. He is clearly a deeply angry person. Mm. Well, you see that in many different ways. So, yeah. for instance, um, with the homeless case, uh, what's the episode name? I've completely forgotten it. Histories. Uh, histories. He is absolutely excoriatingly harsh to that woman yeah i like, oh, just bounce her just give her what she wants get her out of here and she, he learns very quickly that's not the way to proceed um and he even ignores the novelty of the case because he's so hung up on the idea of you know trying to bounce this person because he thinks she's a loser yeah instead of actually looking at the novelty of the medical case and that's one of the things that that you learn through that episode is that actually things are not as straightforward as you seem. And you see him uh, in contrast with what House's approach is, which is this is interesting. Just because she's a homeless person doesn't mean she can't be susceptible to a disease that requires treatment. Mm. Whereas he sees the poverty as the disease, the homelessness as the disease, rather than maybe that the person has a disease I, I don't know i mean it's just that's one of the things i saw as well and i think the other thing that we should talk about is before we move on is that he's he's given a stark choice to join this uh you know this high-flying doctor on the west coast or 
uh, stay with House on the East Coast. Yeah, who he'd worked you know, with before, I believe. Yes, yeah. that's true. This is his and big uh, conflict ch- in DNR. Yes. Um, because the doctor was uh, uh, the main patient's physician and a good friend. Um, and what we see is, um, in the end, he sees the value of House's way of doing things. Um, whereas the other guy was willing to just give up, let the person die. Um, House was willing to fight for the person and try and figure out a solution and to follow his intuition. Whereas the other guy was just like, yep, okay, great. Do you want to go to the conference now? We have to move on. Um, oh, this will make an interesting paper. It kind of instrumentalizes the patient. And I, you can see in that episode the moment that uh, Foreman realizes that he doesn't see patients as instruments for his own career progression in the same way as his former colleague or boss was. And House is definitely not someone who instrumentalizes his patients, not especially not when they're in care. And that was something that was interesting. I'd like to see how far that progresses. And that, and it also shows the value of House as a, as a physician, right? Yeah. Where um, it's not all bad being House. What House does is really, really good. It's not like he's the devil and what Foreman is looking towards or aspiring towards, even if while also consciously uh, chafing against it or rejecting it. Um it shows the value of House as well. He's not just a psychopath with a medical license. Um, yeah, it shows so. <clears throat> shows like a more... He spends a lot of time with the patient, shows a more compassionate side. And it's nice that we, as you say, see that Foreman isn't trying to instrumentalize the patient. He also sees them as people who need help, but he's also fascinated at the same time. And it's, um, it's interesting because actually it, like it kind of shows the irony of it that the more friendly doctor is actually dehumanizing the patients more than houses, which I thought was a really nice way of doing it. It was very clever in the way that it um, kind of showed the irony and hypocrisy of that person's approach. Yeah. Um, which Foreman also clearly sees. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he did see that. And I think that's an, that was a, particular moment for me where i saw the character growth it was yeah, interesting completely it was also it was also a nice episode because even though uh i think his name's marty the doctor even though marty oh, yeah. was um yeah marty hamilton that's the one um yeah even though marty was like being sincere he never came up it, it, it didn't feel like the show was using him as, as a straw man it didn't feel like it was mm. making him like a total insincere asshole like he just was but you could just tell in the way that he talked that he wasn't quite emoting with the patients as much as foreman would like and i like that it actually creates a conflict rather than just you know it just straw manning marty and being like this guy's a complete like you know materialistic sociopath you should be like house like it demonstrates the weakness of house's method it's just that like in the there's just small bits of the approach which seem to like work with foreman's worldview a bit better and it's um yeah and but and it's coherent as well it's you know it 
And, uh, you know, you can kind of, and once again, with Foreman's background, you can see why Marty's life, you know, they're going to lunches, they're living a good life, why Marty might want that a bit more. It's more comfortable, it's more, you know, it's more enjoyable. It's probably what he's been dreaming of and what he also thought he wanted as a doctor, you know, because he was working hard mm. to escape a kind of, you know, uh, economic situation. He wanted that affluence. Yeah, absolutely. But he when he... that affluence. But when it's available, he kind of, you know, he sees that also the thing he wants is meaning in his work, which mm. Marty can't offer. And it's nice the way his... Sort of the dreams he's always held and his current values, like, are in conflict. It's it's really well-written stuff. It's... um Yeah. It's great. But as you know, you, like, you don't know which one he's going to pick. But then as you see, there's this moment where you just see it in his eyes, which is a, you know... Great performance from Omar Epps again. Like he Damn right. he, he portrays Foreman extremely well. Um, so I I think we we thought that was going to be the short character that yes. character we were going to spend much time on. <laughs> now we come on to our favourite Antipodean physician, Chase. Eh, uh, Robert Chase. Um, well, um, <laughs> Chase. <laughs> Chase is a weird one. I feel I feel like Chase, Chase goes on, and the fact that Chase stays in the show so much, I think Chase is the most consistent cast member that remains. Chase ends up having a lot done with him. I think, uh, but I I do get the sense that the first season is very. Uh, I mean, this is the thing. Like, so <clears throat> Chase is really like Chase is charming. Chase is funny. Chase is a lot more like carefree than the other doctors, which I like that it's brought up in the performance and it's also brought up by the other characters. You know, it's not like everyone's going, Chase is so carefree, but he's not. He's just working like everyone else. Like you can tell that Chase is carefree. And there's little things like, you know, during the differential diagnoses, when House makes a joke, like Chase laughs at them because Chase is enjoying the work more. He has more like he has more of the kind of goofier moments where he's trying to think outside the box. He comes up with some of the more crazy ideas. He'll like, you know, when he when they're burglaring a, when they're looking into a <clears throat> patient's house, he'll be the one who like grabs some food and eats it. Like um, he'll be the one who during that uh, dominatrix scene, you know, he tries to <laughs> imitate a dominatrix in order to get someone to sign a scent form. Like Chase is doing those kind of crazy or strange things. And I think... Chase in the first season gets by that he's portrayed really well by Jesse Spencer and also he's just charming and nice to watch and there's kind of like a hint that there's more to his like childhood there's more to his background he you know he might have more demons in his closet than he lets on we see his father we know they had a bad relationship we kind of see the way that you know him and Chase kind of resolve their differences or start to but then we also know that the father's going to die but that doesn't happen like this season. We have to wait till next season for that storyline to play out. So as I say, like there's a lot of investment in Chase, which I think is going to come in season two, but I don't think it's quite there yet. But I think for now, Chase is just a really fun, enjoyable character with clearly some extras okay. to his background. But I don't think he's, I don't think he kind of has that not that I'm saying that any of the character arcs are complete. I think Cameron and Foreman have a long way to go. But by the end, they're kind of like there's been some development. But I don't think Chase really develops. I think we learn about Chase and we know there's something to come. But it's in the later seasons where that's kind of paid off. Uh, yeah. And I think it's worth noting um, 
as we have with the two other characters that in the pilot he in an offhand comment from house i think he says that chase got his position because of his father because of nepotism yeah and that's another jumping off point it's he's the straight from casting um doctor from a medical procedural drama um <laughs> he's charismatic charming young youthful etc well young and youthful are the same but um just to make that point that i'm not a complete moron um and what we see is little little, little tiny tidbits not as much uh juice to this character as the others initially so for instance yeah he's definitely got that kind of privileged background um but he has these weird relationships with things so for instance with faith and the church and catholic church in particular you know what he was originally going to become a priest and that didn't really work out um you have this side to him that is uh, very sceptical about fat people for some reason, <laughs> which is <laughs> or, uh, overweight people for some reason. Um, it's like Foreman's, kind of... Foreman's hatred of homeless people. And then there's <laughs> Chase's hatred of fat people. And then I think Cameron hates uh, people who have affairs. <laughs> Oh yes, seems to be course, like everyone's fantastic. got their weird little episode where they just hate a patient, but it's um all their weird funny. prejudices. Yeah. Remember, it's not um, a fat person; it's a fat child as well, which is even funnier. Yeah, it's just like yeah. Foreman, just like berating this child like in front of her. It's like, all right, mate, calm down. <laughs> yeah, that, it's completely unnecessary and ridiculous. Um, but he, and then obviously his uh, difficult relationship with his father, and he seems to be a little bit, you know, he's on the frisky side of, uh, in terms of his sexuality, he's obviously all right with that. So there are all these little quirks, um, and they all kind of coalesce in weird ways. Mm. Um, I think I think as well with, with Australian his... twang, <coughs> with his uh, with his attitude as well. I think, like, Chase is very carefree and obviously he's, like, you know, gotten where he is because, you know, people have made calls on his behalf. He he comes from, like, a good situation. And I think a lot of the the interesting part of him is the unveiling of that. So you think he's carefree just because he's rich and he doesn't care about anything. And then you kind of realize that maybe he's carefree and he doesn't take things seriously because you hear about, like, his alcoholic, abusive mother, the fact his father left him. Oh, that was the other one, yeah. And you start to think, like... You start to realize, and even like when people bring it up that, you know, he's the way he is because he's rich, he gets really defensive. And and it's this nice, like, you know, I think you discover that Chase isn't carefree because he is rich and hasn't had to work for anything. He's carefree because pretty much everyone in his life has abandoned him or like, you know, ignored mm. him. And you get the sense that Chase doesn't really care about anything, that he's in it for the ride. And I think like... You know, even though that makes Chase do some weird, like, more on the nose things, it doesn't come across as like some sort of character that they're just forcing to be interesting. It it does feel like there's more below the surface and there's a lot governing that, which I think is the important thing about all the characters when even though they're like just being they're just like acting normally, you you really get a sense there's a there's a backstory driving them and a lot of anxieties. Mm. And I think like Chase is an example where he doesn't have a lot of development on that, but 
you you know that through meeting his his family and hearing about his background that there is a there's a driving force uh it's not just that he's carefree and interesting and be written that way just so we'd have a fun character to watch like there's reasons why he's like that and just because he's carefree doesn't mean it's for a good reason which is what everyone consistently in the show assumes they assume oh he's carefree because he doesn't care about anything because he hasn't had to work for anything no he's carefree because his parents effectively abandoned him and that makes him not care about things <laughs> it's like a more horrible yeah. reason for it um and i think this is something to reflect on i mean we said initially that with cameron's origins um that there's no real like zero point or origin point for those stories but for chase there seems to be some origin story stuff going on uh how does that square up within the whole kind of team ecosystem because they do it is like he does not give a shit as much because you know very difficult relationships with those that are closest to him i mean that's different right yeah, a different yeah. way of writing a character. Absolutely, but but as you say, it's like, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there's like an origin point in the in a simple in that simple way. I think like it's clearly lots of events have led to that. Like I think if like okay, if it had right. been like Chase had a really good mother, and then his father left him, and he was like from that moment on, I decided not to care about anything. Then it might be more simple, but because it's lots of events stacked and sort of a continual series of like circumstances that have led him there i think i think it, I, I don't think it comes across as simplistic in that way um mm. and th unless you weren't accusing mm, okay. chase's background of being simplistic <laughs> i don't want you to come across that you're being meaner than you um, were no i i meant in the sense that it wasn't as though the characters have been constructed consistently they all have their own weird like weird kind of points or lack of points of origin in some senses that it's not all kind of the same like co cookie cutter characters like everyone's like cameron in the sense that <laughs> all of their origins are really mysterious that sort of thing i see what you mean um, no absolutely there's what they call a bit of heterogeneity involved uh with the character writing which is good um no fault with that um i would say with chase there's obviously the big thing that happens in this arc he's a dirty rat yes absolutely he's um yeah he 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 turns on a house pretty quickly and then um but yet once again it, it, it it's interesting that he do that because chase likes house chase finds house funny he really like enjoys being with him but it's um, Chase is the first one to turn on him. And I think that's interesting because you'd expect it to be Foreman. But Foreman has like a deep rooted respect of House, whereas Chase's love of House is very paper thin. It's very surface level. It's like, I like this guy, but because of my personality, I don't really get attached to things. So, you know, you know, if it's for my own benefit, I will screw House over. And I think that's that's played really well. And it's totally coherent with the characters. It's like, you know, uh, even though Chase likes House more, he's the first one to screw him over. Why? Because we know there's this backstory that has led him to not really be able to 
like long-term emote with people or take things seriously. And um, even though he loves House, that includes that. It's like, right, there's a problem now. House needs to go. Let's get rid of him. And then as soon as Vogler turns on him, House uh, Chase goes straight back to House because, you know, he, yeah, as you say, he's a, he's a, he's a dirty rat and it's, um, but it, but it's all kind of, you know, it's, it both subverts your expectations because you sort of stereotypically think that because Foreman has the more negative view of House that he won't turn on him. But, um, but at the same time, it's also incredibly coherent. I think that's extremely good character writing that it can subvert your expectations like that, not in a way that's just people doing random things. It totally makes sense. Um, and obviously we know that Cameron was never going to turn against House because that's totally not within her personality at all. Um, and it's really interesting because um, what I always find so stark about it was that Chase turned on him, yet he's the longest serving serving fellow at the start of the series. Mm. Because the series begins in 2005, I believe. And the team, he's been on the team since 2002. And then he betrays him. It's like, wow. You'd think because Foreman's the newest member of the team, he might be the more one more prone to a lack of loyalty. But I think Foreman learns very early on when he kind of subvert, subverts House's authority. Um, when he took over a case um, through by appealing to Cuddy doing that comes with some costs yeah um and also that you shouldn't mess with them because it'll always get you back and chase <laughs> learns that the hard way well I, I think that make that makes chase is um i didn't know that chase had been with the team that long actually i didn't know the exact dates but i think that that definitely makes chase's betrayal even funnier that like you know he's he turns on him so easily and also, yeah, makes 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 the character moment even more effective if he's been there for longer. Yeah, I mean, is that born out of like having enough? Ha he's had enough of this crap, or what? I just don't understand. I I just, as I say, I I think that Chase's carefree attitude comes from the fact that he does not connect with people because he's been used to being screwed over. I think you know the reason why he left the seminary and stopped being a Catholic is just because he like struggles to commit to things like that. I mean, you know, if, if he can't even like, you know, if he can't commit to like, you know, even getting on with his boss, how can he commit to getting on with God? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a I much guess. bigger commitment and he can't even do basic commitments. So I think uh, I think that's how I'd read it. Um, but but as you say, there hasn't been enough done with it. So he's still a mysterious entity in that way. Um Oh, I also wanted to point out that, yes, do you remember that um, I said that uh, a, a fan had a certain observation about Chase that we didn't go into last episode? Go on. It was the, yeah. the possible theory that Chase was actually the reason why he, you know, knew knew a few people in a BDSM relationship was because he was actually the sub. It's all a ruse. For who? Um, that, that's why, that's why, you know, that's why he knows so many dominatrixes because he's, he's, he's not oh, the dom, he's the sub. Okay. Oh, I see. That's a nice little bit of subtext. Uh, I, I love it as a theory because, you know, he, he runs into a net, he knows a lot of dominatrixes that he claims that he was dating someone who was the sub 
but um, were they? Because he's very submissive to House. Well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he. There's some fan fiction to be written about that. I just saying there already has. So I've definitely seen it, oh. but it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's just it's. I I thought it was funny the idea like the the chases a sub backstory or theory which uh you know i mean if you look at the whole show through that lens <laughs> <laughs> that makes it very interesting but um so yeah if you want to if you want to move on then we'll um let's let's round off with the the secondary team there's cuddy and wilson we'll start with um uh cuddy i'm not sure if cuddy's had that much character development necessarily i think that kind of after the pilot her pilot the pilot relationship with house is very combative it's like she's just telling him what to do and trying to make him less lazy and i think once they kind of drop that element in the pilot that house is just lazy their relationship becomes a bit more it becomes less combative like obviously she's like she's keeping things in check but it's a very playful more jovial kind of authority where you know she's the kind of authority figure who she's not just like Vogler right she's not dominating she's not just screaming at people and blackmailing them she comes down to their level so in order to govern how she like you know she'll play his games and she'll try and outsmart him and that's like the strength of Cuddy is that she's domineering but she does it in a way that's like on people's level she plays by people's rules and, uh, you know, that's why she's in the position that she is. That's why she's, like, doing so well. It's because she's really good at emoting and working on people's levels. And it's, um, but, um, but yeah, and then there's even, uh, there's even that nice episode. I'd say the, the, the biggest insight we get into Cuddy or her, her weaknesses at this moment, because Cuddy becomes a bit more emotionally complex as the series go on. We see her struggle through different life events, but, um. The biggest one is where she tries to, where she takes house off the case and damned if you do with the nun after Foreman dobs him in. And um, we see her, you know, she's great at managing house. She's great at managing the hospital. But when we see her managing the team to like, you know, um, come up with a way to cure the patient, she's unable to do it because she doesn't have that kind of creative spark and that kind of energy that house does. I think that's the one nice episode which kind of shows the differences between Cuddy and House's managerial strengths and it's um it's uh I'd say that's like one of my favorite Cuddy development moments in the first season is it uh you know it shows a, a, a bit of a weakness to Cuddy which 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 I like I like when shows like go into the weaknesses of the characters it makes her a lot more complex than she should have been than she could have been she could have just been this like amazing manager and it's nice that we at least show a point where she fails but she's not just like a one note like I'm gonna yell at you until you do what you're supposed to do. She very much like gets down on the ground. I think she's a very well done character because of that. Um, even though we don't see a lot of her, she's she's a you know she's a great authority figure. I think she also shows why Vogler is such a weak authority figure because he's just so one note in that sense. I guess so. Um, but I would say for me the closest analogy for Cuddy is that she's like a um, ball-busting uh, precinct captain um, presiding <laughs> over a lieutenant house 
<laughs> I, I do find that sort of stereotype much more um, conducive at the moment for understanding that relationship. It's like, you better give me results, Al, <laughs> with your unorthodox ways. You can't do that. You know, these oh, sorts you... of things. Um, huh? Did you did you find her relationship with House and the pilot very different as well? Well, yeah, I think all of the relationships in that pilot are very different. And I don't understand why Robert Sean Leonard loves that pilot so much. Because <laughs> it's so, it just doesn't make any sense in comparison to the rest of the series. But apart from introducing the basic barebone characters, um, well, the, you know, the skeleton, skeletal structure of the show. Yeah. Um, uh, but completely different completely different um and i think in, i think what the other thing that 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 gets me about Cuddy is that um and i think something that's a bit of a weakness in the writing is that sometimes she's kind of made the butt of all these jokes sometimes literally the butt of a joke um and sometimes that works really well especially with the back and forth between house and Cuddy. but sometimes it could just be like oh come on more like <laughs> you give so much depth to the other characters and you just use Cuddy as a whipping post for House's kind of witty tirades it gets a little bit kind of difficult um but that being said as the series progresses we get a little bit more depth that actually House is a little bit more of a charity case than he lets on despite his great skill and that Cuddy is a very strong advocate and protector of House. It's not all kind of, oh, House, you maverick. It's, oh, House, you maverick. And please, can you stop doing this? I'm trying to protect you from yourself. Yeah, the Vogler arc definitely lets out that House is a bit more vulnerable than he should be. And he, uh, it, it's funny that even though he's fully aware that Cuddy is defending him, he never thanks her, but... Um, House deep down has a lot to thank Cuddy for. And it's, um, yeah, as you say, like Cuddy isn't just like, there, there's an emotional attachment. There's like this advocacy. It's that Cuddy, you know, really fights for House uh, behind closed doors, which is nice. She's an extremely loyal, practical person. And I think that like, yeah, it just makes her, it just makes her character interesting it gives you an inner working of her feelings for house rather than just you know i'm angry at you all the time and then you'd be like well why did you hire him and then you know you can't answer that question when when you start seeing the way that she defends house you see why she actually hired house and what she needs from him and what she gets from him um which is nice it's not just this weird like plot hole where it's like well why would cuddy put herself through this yeah um and i think that opens up some more interesting development in the later series but i'm still waiting for that um and as you say there's a difference she's a people manager he's more like a case manager in a way or she can deal with the macro house can deal with the micro yeah stuff um and that's a nice little division for now um and i guess the other thing is there seems to also be a little bit of frisson between the two of them um, that hasn't really been elaborated on. Like they've got a bit of a 
history, especially when you think of um, what Vogler was saying in the series, that maybe her proximity to House in a lot of ways makes Cuddy uh, blind to some of the infractions that House performs that are actually unacceptable. And yeah. in a way, Vogler, Vogler is right about that. He's right that he House is given a lot of latitude. And that's something we want to figure out why. And I hope that the rest of the series does that really well. Yeah, totally. For now, she's she's a person, but she's much more a manager than a... That we don't know her as a... We don't know, like, her deep like private life we know her as a formal managerial role and uh the later seasons will expand on that and i look forward to it but i think for now it's a good establishment um and then going on to yeah. other possible uh bare bones characters uh wh what do you think about wilson during season one because um it's it certainly for me watching it back takes him a long time to get going I think yeah. that he he kind of he has the he has the kind of opposite of the chase problem in that he's a very I mean Wilson is a really you know interesting uh you know nice guy he's charming and there's like you know he's got a relationship with house and you kind of want to know more about it and and why it is that way but I I feel like there's not a lot given to you for a very long time and I think Wilson mm. comes off extremely flat because like kind of his purpose is lost a bit like you have like he his his goal is to be more of a moral arbiter to house but because the context of the relationship starts with cases it's just wilson telling house what he should do within the context of a case which is kind of what cameron does so i was at first a bit confused about wilson's purpose and then um and then yeah over time whenever it comes to like life issues like is house happy is house taking too many drugs that's when wilson has conversations with house he's the only person who can have conversations with house and um you know and then when house and cameron go on that date wilson's the only person who is an advocate for house's feelings and you start to see you're like oh i i, I get that like wilson is the audience's connector to house's inner private life that no one else has access to because no one else has seen house in that vulnerable state. So it's, um, Wilson's purpose and, and character comes out a lot more as the series goes on, but he takes a while to get going. And, um, the fact that the first episode just started off, like with him just lying to house to make him take a case and just being overtly caring. I found him extremely weak for the first few episodes at the very least. But, um, I think the, yeah, um, and I think in the pilot, like you say, the it's very weak. Yeah, the lying and everything is fine, but the one thing I would say is um, he's supposed to literally be like a Watson in the pilot. He is literally what here's a new case that I've found for you, House. You yeah, take it on. It's like okay, that's really interesting. I'm not Sherlock Holmes. I'll take the case. Um. Uh, and then throughout that episode, he just starts explaining, overtly explaining House's behavior. And it just gets like he, especially when the patient in the first episode, she wants to die. 
And he goes, no, he's become, she's become less a problem, more of a person he, re- she, he respects. And it's just like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, it's awful. He respects it's... her. And it's just like, what? He's not like, he's just like, becomes like a Irving, the, the explainer character. Just here are the things House is really thinking inside of his head. And it's like, really? Yeah, that's okay. like that. That's their early attempt at like House being the uh, Wilson being the bridge to House's like private life and feelings, but it's really dodgy because like you know it's just Wilson announcing what House is thinking, whereas when it's you know <laughs> House is detoxing and Wilson confronts him in his office and they have like a proper conversation that people would really have people who are concerned and comfortable, and you know we're watching that conversation like that feels natural that feels like you know wilson is bringing us into house's life by questioning his life decisions and being concerned for him he's not berating him he's like concerned he's his friend whereas the first episode is just i am his friend i know him very well this is what he is thinking and it's like uh yeah as you say just give me a break it's like it's just it's because they're trying to fit him in that archetype of watson role and then the show becomes its own monster and then they actually find a meaningful place for Wilson to be. And then, and then on top of that, we find some like nice little things out about Wilson, like some, some like, you know, some, some things that make him a bit more interesting, but they're very, they're very alluded to. It's not like, you know, Chase's backstory. We just, we know that Wilson has a marriage currently. We know that it's not going very well. Um, and we kind of know that Wilson is maybe edging on the verge of having an affair, but he's in denial about it. But we we don't right now know like how all the how all the dots are connected. We know that Wilson's a really yeah. nice guy. We know that he likes to he's a bit like Cameron, he likes to fix things, he likes to be, you know, a really nice person. But it's um we don't know the destructive side of that, which comes out a bit later on in the season. Mm. But for now we just like we know that Wilson's a nice guy. He gives us some insight into House. He's charming, and he maybe has a bit more like ghosts, uh, skeletons in the closet, and he might be up to some dodgy stuff. He might be about to, you know, screw his wife over by having an affair. But it's um, it's very alluded to at the moment. Uh, I'd yeah, say yeah. out I of mean, everyone, Wilson takes the longest to get going, and I don't mean that as a criticism that Wilson is bad. I really enjoy Wilson in the first season, but Wilson definitely steps up in later seasons. Okay, yeah. Um, we see some pretty depressing things, such as uh, <laughs> Christmas with House, um, eating Chinese uh, takeaway, um, having a good old time with his buddy. Um, and I guess in another way, you could view it through the kind of buddy cop system. Uh, yeah. But only during that first pilot bit, then all of a sudden it just falls away. Um, and he becomes a kind of not a moral I, you say a moral arbiter I say kind of more like a, he challenges house when it comes to the ethics or the morals of a problem which is an arbitrate I might be using the word arbiter wrong okay <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, he's like a kind of <laughs> he might be like a reflecting pool for the dilemmas that house faces moral um, mirror I don't think it's any act a moral mirror. Yeah, sorry. I, um, I think I was trying to sound clever by using the word arbiter. I was clearly using it wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
um, and <laughs> I think uh, what's interesting, I think it's no accident that he's shown as an oncologist mm. as well. He seems to, the destructive side of his caring is that he takes on the most grave and sorrowful aspects of medicine. You know, cancer is a very destructive disease. Um, that requires treatment, ex- you know, painful treatment, sometimes very dire prognoses, um, but he never gives up. And I think that's uh, that's analogous to how his relationship with House is. He sees House as deeply flawed. The prognosis of House's life seems very bleak. He will die alone, it seems. Yeah. You know, dissatisfied with human relations and he tries to treat house and to um be with house um through that difficulty um and one of the ways he does that is to challenge house on his actions to make him a better person um yeah that might be a completely over the top analysis but it seems to me something interesting and i think also the oncologist element also is a hint at wilson's the destructive side of his uh vocation as a healer um he takes on the hardest tasks he takes on the most difficult of diseases it takes on the things that come with the most pain and sorrow Mm. Because the people can be young, they can be really old, but it's never expected. You know, that's that's a very interesting point about the job descriptions as well. Because I think, like, House's team aren't good at telling people that they're going to die. Because House never lets people die, pretty much. I think only two or three people die in the first season. Because he's a fixer. He gets in there and he fixes it. Whereas Wilson is very much like because the cancer rate has such a high kill rate, it's not that Wilson isn't a good doctor. He just is dealing with something that involves a lot more death. He's sort of more the, he's sort of more a guiding figure. Like, you know, he treats, he helps, but at the end of the day, if someone's going to die, he's there for them. He holds their hand. He tells them they're going to die. And he's there to like give them the emotional support as they do it. And I think it's, I mean, you could say he's like that with house. He's kind of helping a case, which is, you know, heading to oblivion with house and that's kind of like what he's good at but at the same time it's like you know house sees oncology house sees like wilson's job a bit as pointless sometimes because it's like oh your patient's gonna die who cares whereas wilson is like no that still matters the way that they die whereas house sees that kind of element of it as pointless once they're dead it's failed and i think like Mm. um yeah they're, they're they're two different job descriptions really sums up like how they think differently about not only medicine but their personal lives and how as you say like wilson is so ready to take on these like real emotional hardships which um house just wouldn't even deal with which uh i guess is why their friendship works <laughs> but the other thing is it's uh with with wilson he, he's always focusing on all these kind of very difficult thing like difficult cases but he doesn't look at the cost that it has on him. Mm. You know, he's too he's so transfixed on saving others that he's neglecting himself in a sense. So he, his affliction in a way is similar to House's because his life is 
it might be that the rate of uh, houses um, path towards oblivion is a lot faster a lot more racier a lot more dramatic but with wilson his life is slowly unraveling and he's kind of in denial about it and he's kind of not facing up to it by by focusing on house and focusing on other people he's such a he externalizes everything else and doesn't really focus on himself yeah i think at the moment house is his number one patient (laughs) i think that's a great observation in the same yeah it's just an interesting thing and i hope we get to see that play out maybe or maybe not who knows we'll find out more yeah but uh going down the food chain even more <laughs> to the bottom of the barrel we scrape the bottom <laughs> of the barrel so hard that we're we're hitting the concrete it's uh it's vogler uh, also known as cuddy light now nah, i'm joking he's got he's got a bit more going on but um uh, as you said like you revealed the backstory of this that it was it was forced upon the showrunners by the by the head of Universal. This is not something they wanted. Uh, the The head of Universal wanted a wanted an antagonist, um, even though there were antagonists each episode with the with the diseases. And House himself is an antagonist. He's extremely self destructive. But hey, we needed another guy, and that's why they gave them Vogler. Hey, are you saying the protagonist is also an antagonist? So deep. We can't have that. <laughs> no, we need to have an actual antagonist. Let's do it. We, you're you're more in. you're more down on Vogler than I am. I think. So. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to give your 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 feelings on Vogler? I could summarize it in a sentence. Go on. A waste of time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, sorry. I'll I'll retract that. I think there's more to say. <laughs> Go on. An absolute abject waste of time. <laughs> I mean, I um, think I think at the very least, like even though Vogler is kind of like a more boring version of Cuddy, he is just, you know, I'm gonna. You know, I'm going to just tell you what to do and you have to do it without like, you know, any kind of additional extras which make him a good leader. I, I do I do enjoy watching Vogler. I think Chi McBride plays him very well. And um, mm. uh, like, you know, he has a lot of fun with it. He He plays it very campy. And I think they did the best they could with Vogler. But I think like, although this isn't exactly like um, this isn't exactly like paid off. I think that Vogler at least has a very house approach in that he will try and strong arm someone and put them in a position where they have to submit to his his will, right? Because house will do it through uh, like trickery, lying, like anything to get the patient to do what he wants. Like that's how house does it. And when Vogler comes in, house thinks he can use those techniques. And unfortunately, Vogler uses like, you know, what's at what's at his disposal which is like you know his finances uh the fact that he employs you like the fact that he can strong arm people into threatening them to remove like he can threaten to remove funding like that's how vogler does business and i think at the very least like that gives an interesting 
like you know uh obstacle for house um unfortunately i think that vogler will say something like i'm gonna fire everyone i'm gonna fire house and then in the next episode he'll be like okay well instead of that why don't you just do me a speech um and although those things lead on to other interesting things i do think that vogler will randomly pull back which um is kind of played off as vogler trying to be reasonable like he gets heated up and then he gets reasonable but uh, i feel that vogler could have been a lot more intense than he was um even though i like the finale with vogler i think it's very much like you know there's a you know will house keep his job won't he and there's an interesting arc of how he convinces people that he should keep his job but in um yeah in a sense it's still it's it's very light it's very like not played on as much as it could be and i think the fact that vogler never because there's a lot of flashback sequences like house has a lot of moments where he thinks on people he imagines what people would say to him um but vogler never appears in those and i think that's a that's uh that says a lot I think that says everything yeah um and also like you say the inconsistency like I'm going to crush you, House. Oh, by the way, can you use your diagnostic skills to diagnose the problems with this senator? It's like, okay. Yeah. Pick, a, pick a lane. Yeah, like he's kind of saying, you're really good at your job. Uh, oh, but yeah, I don't want you. But you're really good at your job. Yeah, I want to crush you. Because he cures the senator, right? Which, you know, kind of is what Vogler wants. But Vogler doesn't seem to see the value in House outside of that. It's extremely sporadic. It's like... Okay, like, yeah, he doesn't wear his coat, he doesn't listen, but, you know, he sticks to himself, and he did cure that senator, which is going to give you a bit of leeway, like, politically. Like, is there no value in house there? It's, um... No, he must be destroyed. Oh, hi, can you fix this again? Oh, no. Just do a speech. Oh, I'm going to crush everything you stand for. Oh, it's like, well... Is it... Are you playing an antagonist, or are you playing something that's going to bring cases? I mean, just... What is it? Yeah, especially especially with... What's the line? Especially with Vogler's, like... Because, you know, Vogler gives House that speech. But I think Vogler might should be a bit cleverer than that because House could get up on that stage and say anything. And then House does say anything. <laughs> and then Vogler's like, you've embarrassed me and ruined my company. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe don't put House, the man who is known for not listening to anything in a public forum. I totally get, like, strong-arming him into firing people and forcing him to put on a coat. But giving him a platform <laughs> to slag you off seemed very silly at the time. I think, um, I think, yeah. W watching through Vogler again, I, I, I like Vogler. I think, I, you know, I actually, I don't think it's a good idea, but I think the way that the team implemented it is a is is probably the best way they could have done it. But um, at the same time, I think, you know, Vogler's just too OP. He just comes in, and they have to keep nerfing him <laughs> because yeah. he's like, you know, I've got lots of money. Yeah, like he's too powerful. That's the problem. And it's like, mm. so he keeps having to do all these random weird things where he backtracks. And um, it's a shame. Because, uh, yeah, they they make him really antagonistic and then they kind of have to keep pulling it back. And it, it feels a bit inconsistent watching it again. And um, Vogler doesn't leave much of an yeah. impact. Like he's only in there for five episodes and then he's gone. Yeah, it, yeah it's one of those things. It's not with a character like that they could have done it in a way where he's more like a pervading sense of doom yeah rather than i'm gonna crush you th this episode i'm gonna crush you down by the way i've got this problem i need you to solve it <laughs> then i'm gonna crush you <laughs> do you understand <laughs> it's like okay i completely okay. agree or 
I'm going to completely subvert your will. I'm going to completely subvert your will. You're going to do this speech for me. Now can you solve this problem? You're still a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would have been fun if they just stuck House in an office and said he couldn't get a desk job. Or something like that. Like, instead of, you know, kind of stage it. Like, he houses first, you know, he chafes against... uh, Vogler and then Vogler retaliates and says I don't think these uh, high flung diagnostic cases are for you you're off I'll promote one of your underlings yeah like things like that he gets back and then House gets back at that and says no I'm back on the case because you messed up by having one of my underlings do it now I'm back and then he'll go well then I'm going to go for your job oh unless you do what I tell you to do then push with that Hmm. there there is no sense of like a consistent level of like the confrontation like the big confrontation was going to happen and in effect there wasn't really a big confrontation it was just all in a weird boardroom scene Hmm. (laughs) with house kind of parading in and out of the kind of courtroom arbitration between um bogler and uh cuddy which was just really bizarre it's like hi you're talking about my future but I need you to talk about this. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye. And they're going, what is the nature of healthcare? Is it a business or is it a charity? And it's just like, hi. Hey. <laughs> you know, these really high-flung topics intermingled with House's future. And then all of a sudden he just rolls and goes, hey, how's it going? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, oh, there's a lot of comedy yeah, in that. very weird. There's a lot of comedy in that, which I think is on purpose. But I agree with you. It's like... Yeah. It's very insane after a while. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't see the funny side of a character that's completely pointless. But, you know, whatever. I'll deal with it. I think Vogler is like, Vogler to you is like, you know, those you know those people that, you know, you, you instantly didn't like Vogler, so you can't find him funny now. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those situations. Um, but Did the Doctor House in the house? But thank God it's over. And thank God by not doing it that we got the finale episodes, which they threatened to cut because they're the best ones. And, yeah, um, I agree. Fantastic. But, um, oh, well, th- thank you, Gaz, for joining me in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that was very hesitant. Well, uh, why don't I do it? Thank you, Harvey, for being here. It's been a really big episode a bumper episode of dd extra um an hour and a bit that's pretty long for us for an extra episode usually it's about 30 40 minutes it is but i mean hopefully this is kind of designed for people who like you know just want to listen to some people casually just talk about the characters for a bit i am i mean you know we, we try and keep it as succinct as possible like hopefully it's interesting but um yeah, I mean, there's a, we, there are a lot of characters to talk about. We dumped everyone into one episode, then house into the rest. So <laughs> it's just the way it is, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you, Harvey, for your forbearance and your <laughs> words of accurate and acute uh, analysis. Um, and yours. And thank you to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh, And we'll see you next time on uh, Differential Diagnosis uh, episode. Which episode are we doing? Oh, yeah. Three stories. That's it.
fantastic. See you later, guys.